Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 954, or you can pull it up on your devices or your Bibles. The ESV version of the text will be displayed on the screen. And again, that is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the thing, things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's turn our attention now to Minister Pat as he preaches on the topic of how can we persevere in pain. Good morning, Crossbridge. Today, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and continuing our series, Bearing the Wind Load how to persevere through trials. There are times in life when everything seems to go wrong. Maybe even now, some of us are facing such desperate situations. Perhaps with your health, the death of, a, of someone close to you, perhaps a breakdown of a relationship a work problem, a family difficulty, financial trouble. Even in desperate times, we can find real renewal and encouragement. We have that blessed assurance in Jesus Christ who knows that we depend on him. Apostle Paul helps us to see that need. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 features three key object lessons, the clay pot, the humble human body, and a temporary tent. Each reminds us of that, incon that inconvenient truth of our earthly reality. We are weak, vulnerable, mortal, and as such, we are subject to decay, to depression, and even death. So follow along as I lead us through our text this morning, and this is what I have planned for us. We will see 
how God helps us persevere through pain and suffering. We will be encouraged by seven reasons Apostle Paul does not lose heart. And we will understand how to respond to the affliction that is in our life. In a moment, we'll dive into this morning's text, but please now, will you join me in prayer? Dear Jesus, to your word, we incline our hearts and minds. To your will, we submit our plans and ways. As we seek you now, renew our strength and hope. Remind us of your faithfulness according to your goodness, provision, and sovereignty. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 appeals universally to every one of us. Apostle Paul says, We do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. God's truth has two parts, and I bet, without exception here, that everyone wants one part, but not the other part. Because first, no one wants to lose heart. No one showed up this morning thinking, hey, Pat, I really want you to preach a discouraging message. Or I want the worship team to lead us in a sad song. Or for us to pray. For us to pray without hope. Without any hope. None of us ask for that. None of us seek that. Which one of you wants to be discouraged? Not a single one of us. And neither did Apostle Paul. Now, on the other hand, who doesn't want to be renewed day by day? Don't we want what the prophet Isaiah said of those who would put their trust in God? They will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. We all seek that feeling of strength and vitality, of freshness and zeal. But we know that it just lasts for a moment, and then it fades away. If we want to be strong and hopeful on the inside, we must be renewed day by day. We all understand this. We know that life is dynamic. It's changing. It's subject to entropy. You know, with our lungs, we breathe in and then we breathe out. And with our phones, what do we do? We charge it. And then we unplug it and it discharges, right? We watch as that battery gauge approaches zero, and we start to worry, what, what am I going to do with my laptop? What if I'm playing on Switch? Or, like, how am I going to send, you know, my next text message? You know, it's fill and deplete and fill again. We watch as the, we, we plan our lives all around when we're going to get our next charge. And everyone wants this power of renewal. No one wants to be depleted, empty, or discouraged. And it's for this reason that we are subject, and oftentimes we fall prey to the hollow clickbait headlines, right? We see it in our news feeds. Maybe you recognize some of these top 10 ways. 12 surprising tricks 
get instant results. You know, in other words, if there is a secret to becoming hopeful, strong, or filled with joy again and again and day by day, I guarantee we are interested. You see, in our passage, Apostle Paul presents us with two words that should hold our attention. Now, the first word happens in verse 16, and it's the word so. Okay, so. And the second word is for. For at the beginning of verse 17. And why am I singling out these two words? Well, because I want for you to picture something in your mind, okay? I want you to picture the, a very simple, basic A-frame tent, you know, the ones that you see in cartoons, right? It has these two poles on either ends, and then you have this fabric that drapes over it, right? And then it's all held in place with cords and stakes that are pushed into the ground. I want you to have that image in your mind. And maybe it looks something like this. The two support poles, okay, at either end of the tent are the two statements in 2 Corinthians 4.16. We do not lose heart, and we are renewed day by day. You see, these are two incredibly powerful promises. We want to claim both in our lives. So the word so at the beginning of the verse 16 signals that Paul is drawing conclusions from the verses that came before it. And because verses 7 to 5, 15 are true, you know, as Paul's making the case, we're thinking, yep, check, 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 true, true, true. And so when we get to verse 16, we do not lose heart. And so we are renewed day by day. So the word so is a signal there for us to pay attention to what just came, to see that is the truth that Paul is revealing to us. And then for the word for, at the beginning of verse 17, signals that Paul is about to give reasons in support of verse 16. You know, for, or the word because, because verses 17 to 18 are true, true, and true. You know, we do not lose heart and we are renewed day by day. So the word for points to the truth of verses 17 to 18 that support 16. Now, you know, you've been looking at this slide for a moment, and now you can see it, right? The two statements of belief in verse 16 are these poles, right? And these poles are supporting. It's literally holding up the tent of our life. And Paul experiences God's power, his presence, his provision underneath that tent. And, it, and he gives us these seven reasons that testifies to his dependence on God's covering grace. And that's upheld by these two promises that we have in verse 16 that enabled Paul to persevere through pain and affliction. So Paul can say with absolute conviction, so we do not lose heart, and we are renewed day by day. So our aim is to find those reasons in the text that Paul gives for claiming these promises. 
You see, if Paul found encouragement and renewal there, my hope is that you will also find them there, there as well. Now, before proceeding, there's just one more thing. Verse 16 acknowledges that not losing heart and being renewed day by day is happening. They are happening in the context of suffering. We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. It's though our outer self is wasting away that our inner self is being renewed. Paul accepted that he and everyone is dying. You're dying. I'm dying, okay? He himself was deeply afflicted. And amidst the suffering, he was painfully aware of the decay and the wasting away that we're all subject to. He battled disappointment and frustration. He endured hardship, sickness, and injury. And every one of those took a little bit of his life away, just like every bit of that takes away one bit of your life as well. So truly, in these ways, Paul's right when he says in verse 12, death was at work in him. And that was the context for saying we do not lose heart and we are renewed day by day. So the real question is not, not how can I not lose heart in life, nor is it how can I be renewed day by day. I'm going to suggest to you that actually the more relevant question here for us is how can I persevere in suffering without losing heart? Or if we use the words that we find in our translation here, it's like, how can I accept that wasting away of the outer self or my earthly body without losing heart? Now we're ready to see Paul's response to this question. We find the first set in verses 7 to 15 and another set in verse 17 to 18. In verses 7 to 15, Paul gives us four reasons that give him confidence to say, so we do not lose heart. Every reason takes into account, as I've said, the exhaustion of his earthly life. And Paul never loses sight. He understands. He's full of empathy. He knows that he's dying, you're dying, our children are dying, okay? So in these verses, he shows you what is true in spite of and even because his outer self is decaying. He's giving us truth that speaks to that situation. So first, although his outer self is wasting away in and through such suffering, God's power and the life of his son, Jesus Christ, are being manifested and glorified. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay, that is that decaying, weak outer selves, that the surpassing power of belongs to God and not to us. Therefore, okay, so here's, here's his first therefore statement. So, so we do not lose heart because God's power is exalted in our weakness. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And that's another aspect of just saying his bodies are wasting away and of the outer self. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because the life of God's Son is exalted in your very lives, your daily living. 
Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in your mortal flesh. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because the life of God's Son is manifested and glorified in our decaying bodies. Can you feel that? Do you experience dying and death and the sustaining grace of God through your relationship in Jesus Christ? Is that your reality? This first reason Paul gives not to lose heart is that despite his decaying and dying for the sake of others, God's power and the life of Jesus are glorified. It is indeed this exaltation of glory of God. This is something Paul lives for. Second, though his outer self is wasting away in and through suffering, life is flowing from Paul to the church. From Paul to the church. So Paul became weak so the church could become strong. And that's how it works, right? We Christians, we strengthen the church by our weakening. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Therefore, we do not lose heart because not only is God being glorified, but you, the beloved of God, are receiving life and strength and hope. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, you know, it's through suffering, right? It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart because, and here notice how it brings together the first two points, okay? Grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart because, and as we, because in our ministry of suffering, okay, it's strange to call it a ministry of suffering, isn't it? Because our ministry of suffering, grace is extending to you even as glory is lifted to God. And these are the two loves, chief loves of Paul's life. Wouldn't you want to be able to call these your chief loves in life? Paul loved extending grace to others and directing glory to God. And in this verse, we find both. So Paul does not lose heart when he is strengthening the church. Third, though his outer self is wasting away in and through the suffering, God sustains him and does not let him be overcome. Verses 8 to 9. And as we read through these pairs, what I want you to notice is that the point that Paul is making, he says, yes, our outer self is wasting away, but no, we don't lose heart. Yes, acknowledging reality. No, acknowledging what God is doing. So here we go. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. So we do not lose heart because God sustains us and does not let us be overcome. Fourth, 
Though the outer self is wasting away, Paul will be raised from the dead with the church, and together we will be united with Christ. Verse 14, we know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So we don't lose heart. Because it's going to be okay. Death is not going to be the end of this story. It's not going to ruin it. I assure you, I'm going to live again. And those of you that are in Christ, you're going to live again. And we are going to be united and we are going to be with Jesus for eternity. And together we will share his glory forever and ever. So, in these four reasons, we've now covered the first half of this covering grace that Paul is revealing to us. It's, it's, it's held up by these key promises that God says that ensures that we will not lose heart and we will be renewed daily. I am being renewed because God's power and the life of Jesus are being manifested and, and glorified in my fading weakness. I am being renewed because life is, through, is flowing through my suffering into the church. I am being renewed because God sustains me in my suffering from the de- from and does not let me be overcome. And I am being renewed because I believe that I'm going to be raised and be united with you to be with God forever. And for these reasons, all these reasons and more, I do not lose heart. Now, let's step, okay, figuratively speaking, to the other side of that tent. Okay. Here you will find more reasons that enabled Paul to say that he could endure all that pain and suffering. Now, Crossbridge, among all the verses that we've looked at today, we've read today, verses 17 to 18 are by far the most meaningful to me. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul doesn't lose heart, and he's renewed day by day. And from his experience, he gives us three more reasons why he doesn't lose heart. And, and this is the part that I've been looking forward to and I think you're all anticipating, he also shows us how to face the affliction in our life and to face it with faith, with courage, and even joy. Now, that might be something hard for you to accept. Okay, you heard me right. You can have affliction and have joy. And in spite of that decaying of the outer self, no weakness, no illness, no injury or hardship discouraged him. Let's see why and then how. For those of us that are keeping count, we're on reason number five. Paul does not lose heart for his affliction is momentary. Verse 17. Now, of course, momentary does not mean it just lasts a minute. Momentary means that it just lasts the period of your life. Do you consider that momentary? Now, it reminds us of the reality that we are presently living in a very thin slice of time, okay? It is this thin, exi- thin time of existence in these bodies, okay? And the lifetime 
in the outer self is momentary when we compare it to the million millennia of eternity. And Paul wants us to see that no affliction can outlive these bodies, okay? Can you say, as Paul says, I do not lose heart, for my afflictions will end. Do you believe your afflictions will end? Paul does not lose heart, for his affliction is light. <laughs> we, we, we find this incredulous, not only when we look at the afflictions we're facing, okay, but the afflictions that Paul faced. But first, let's talk about our afflictions. You know, what are you going through right now? Is it a health crisis? Maybe it's a death in your family. Maybe a job loss. Maybe a broken marriage, a betrayal. Or maybe something, that, something else that has absolutely just crushed and discouraged you. Do any of those things feel light to you? Of course they don't. Okay? Of course not. And not when you're going through that, would you ever dare to say, hey, these afflictions are light. Bring it on. No. That would be ridiculous. But Paul plainly states what is so uncommon to our modern American experience. And this, this was Paul's own judgment. He's speaking for himself. But, you know, follow along with me as I look to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You don't have to turn there because it's a long list of what he's gone through. But, you know, in chapter 11, after acknowledging he's going to sound like a madman, he then proceeds to provide evidence for it. He says, great labor, greater labors, more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, 40 lashes, less one, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure. You miss a meal, your stomach grumbles, and you grumble, <laughs> okay? Now, apart from such outward material and bodily afflictions, Paul faced his burdens for the churches as well. So when Paul says that his affliction Afflictions are light. He doesn't mean that they were easy or painless. He identifies with what you're going through. Now, he means that compared to what follows, these momentary afflictions are light. Compared to the weight of glory that awaits, such afflictions feels like feathers in the scale. Elsewhere in Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And for this reason, Paul says, and I've repeated time and time again, I hope you memorize it, for we do not lose heart, for we are renewed day by day. But let's face it, most of our hardships, they don't last very long and certainly not an entire lifetime. They're generally momentary. So in light of eternity, this is why we can say, yes, God, my affliction is light, because it's passing. And there's one more reason why it's light. Our affliction is light because of what it produces. Do you know what God wants to produce through our affliction? His glory. And this takes us to his final reason. 
He wants us to manifest His glory. That is the light and the heat of His glory. What does Paul say in verse 17? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that's what he's trying to manifest through our affliction. Will you compare the weight of your own affliction against the weight of glory that he desires to place in your life? Let me assure you, that type of balance is not achievable, okay? You're never going to be able to balance your afflictions with the weight of glory. The size of the affliction doesn't matter, okay? It may feel like it matters, but it doesn't. And please understand when I say that, I'm not in any way diminishing, dismissing, or somehow invalidating what you're going through. Not at all. But Paul does not lose heart because his affliction is actually producing for Paul an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The experience Paul describes here is not momentary, but eternal. It's not light, but it's weighty. It's not affliction, but it's glory. And God's glory can be tough to apprehend. Listen to how Paul describes the wonder of God's glory and goodness. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And look, afflictions do not merely precede glory, it produces glory. There is strong causal connection between how we suffer and the degree to which we enjoy eternity with God. Let me say that again. There's a strong causal relationship, connection, between how we suffer and the degree to which we will enjoy eternity with God. You see, there's no waste in God's economy. Not a single moment of pain is lost to God. And I hope you can say, as Paul says, so I do not lose heart. For all my troubles are producing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And after listing these seven reasons for why he doesn't lose heart, Paul explains how. He doesn't lose heart because he sets his mind on what is unseen, eternal glory to come. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. God might offer you all the glory in the universe to keep you from losing heart and to be renewed by day by day, but if you never look at it, it means nothing to you. You've got to look at it. You've got to look at it. Would you agree that we live in a, in a visible material world? We feel the floor that we walk on, right? We love the smell of that fresh-cut grass. And, you know, some of you, when you're reaching for that coffee in the morning, it's a reach of desperation because you're trying to wake up for, for maybe before some of us. We enjoy the taste of it, right? So it's... It, we live in this material world, okay? And the Son of God entered into this material world, and he put on the robe of the material world and the body of Jesus Christ, God is interested and he cares for us, for this world. This is what we believe. But how about the spiritual world? When all our thinking, all our heart, 
all our passions is focused on the material world. We are preoccupied, aren't we? And we overlook the spiritual world. We neglect the spiritual world at our own peril, resulting in discouragement and despair. Life is hard. God lets us struggle in life that would crush us if we only lived on the terms of a material world. But in the spiritual world, God provides an experience of victory and glory. That's why we must never just live in a material world. God intends for us to live in this material world with a spiritual perspective. Crossbridge, consider the goodness, power, and presence of God's glory among us and realize that if our life is going to manifest His glory, we can expect some affliction. And just because affliction is our reality, there's no need to go run after it. It's going to find you. So be prepared. God will allow afflictions so that he can bring a greater weight of glory. Can you accept that? You see, the problem is that if that's not okay with you, think about this. You're basically saying no to God's blessing you. He is training you up. He wants to prepare you to carry and bear this weight of glory. Don't restrict him. Let him in. He's died for you. We belong to him. Let God have his way with you. And with all that in mind, let me close with one more illustration from the life of Apostle Paul. What kind of life did he choose to live? And how did he feel about it? Was he angry? Was he depressed? Was he in denial? Or was he pleading and bargaining with God to change his circumstances? I wonder if Paul grumbled. Maybe he might have said something like this. I hate my life. Why do I have to endure all of this just so you can be glorified through my life? Can we relate with that? I, the Bible tells us that is not how Paul felt. That is not how he thought. And that is certainly not how he behaved. And he says, in fact, that the trials and tribulations made his joy complete. How can that be? He looked to the things unseen, and there he found the glory of God. So when I address the afflictions in your life, I'm no way suggesting that you should accept it as some senseless misery. <laughs> You're not a glutton for punishment. Instead, I'm suggesting that you aspire to the same attitude that Paul had, that you can aspire to that same goal of of affliction, revealing the resurrection glory of God in Jesus Christ in his letter to the Romans in chapter three, uh, chapter 5, verse 3 and following. Paul says that we Christians ought to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Crossbridge, through the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, we have that double assurance that we've heard time and time again from 2 Corinthians 4.16. With confidence, you can say, as Paul said, we do not lose heart. And though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed day by day. May it be so. Join me in prayer.
Father in heaven, I desperately needed this. I needed it this morning. I needed it now. I need it this afternoon. (laughs) And I will need it every day for the rest of my life to be renewed day by day so I do not lose heart. I pray the same for everyone here. May they acknowledge their desperate need for your divine presence and power, that your resurrection glory be manifest in them. In Jesus' name, amen.